Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Arthritis, it can happen to a lot of us as we get older, but are there things we can do now to help our joints stay healthy? If we do get this, is it safe to exercise? When do injections or even surgeries help with the problem? Well, today I am joined in the studio by Dr. Joe Vercatapine, and he is an orthopedic surgeon and joint specialist at Straub and Polymomy Medical Centers, and he's going to share some expertise with us today. And we're going to discuss all about arthritis and how do you know that surgery is the best option and why you should do some other things before that to get in good shape and preparation. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Now, let's talk a little bit about arthritis. You know, I often tell folks, arthritis is wear and tear on your joints. So if you're lucky enough to make it to be 90, you're probably going to have some wear and tear on your body. But there are certain conditions for which people might get this at a younger age. What are some of the risk factors for developing this arthritis? Well, certainly there's um, there's a genetic component. So it, it does um, tend to, to run in families to a certain degree. But um, certainly there's that aspect of, of wear and tear, like you're saying, you know, um, one of the analogies uh, that I use is it's often like, you know, having tire uh, the treads on the tire of your car, the cartilage in your joints. And, you know, the, the harder you drive the car, the quicker you wear the treads out. So, you know, if you're a person who's um, had a lot of uh, small traumas or even big ones, um, you know, you're more likely to uh, wear out, um, you know, certain joints, uh, the, the joints that you're beating up the most, typically your knees and your and your hips. Now, those are also what we would call weight-bearing joints. So you might get arthritis of the wrist or the elbows, but you're not walking on those all the time. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that weight-bearing component definitely plays a big part. And, um, you know, people who uh, have some damage, some underlying damage to the joints, if they continue to do kind of high-impact type of activities and uh, really, you know, beat up on their joints, they they can develop uh, arthritis a bit quicker than they would otherwise. And it also means that if you're not at a good body weight for your body, that could also put you at risk of putting extra stress on those joints. Yeah, correct. The the, the pressure in the joints um, certainly gets uh, amplified in your hips and your knees and, and your weight-bearing joints in general. Um, and, uh, yeah, every every um, little bit of extra weight definitely amplifies uh, in, in, the, uh, in the joints and wears out the cartilage potentially quicker. Is there anything to that idea that when it's colder, your joints feel stiffer? Yeah, I hear that a lot. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't uh, know exactly what the mechanism is for that, but um, people who, who have arthritis uh, tend to complain of that um, a bit. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a very common phenomenon. And I often feel like if you have arthritis of a part of your body, you know, one of the classic features is you might feel really stiff in the morning, but once you get yourself moving and you get going, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, it kind of loosens up a bit. Like you, quote, warm up in a way. Yeah, you do. Um, you know, that definitely is true. Uh, there's a what they call a gelling phenomenon that occurs in the joints. As as you get up and get moving, the, the fluid starts circulating through the joint and, um, you know, that tends to, to loosen things up a bit. Kind of reminds me of the Tin Man. Way <laughs> back from the Wizard of Oz, there's always getting oil in the joints, you know. So if somebody has trouble with arthritis, let's say that, you know, they're pretty certain that that's what they have. How does that differentiate in their symptoms from something like a tendonitis or a bursitis? Would that hurt so much when you get out of bed or hurt more as you start moving a lot? 
Yeah, um, you know, that's a good question. A lot of it, you know, has to do with kind of exactly where you're feeling the pain, uh, you know, when it comes to your to your hips and your knees, um, which is primarily what I focus on. Um, you know, the hips um, tend to be, if you're feeling the pain more kind of in the groin region, kind of more, you know, toward the center line of your of your body, that, that typically correlates more with our arthritis-type pain, bursitis, tendonitis, those types of pains are more kind of peripheral, more on the outside. Um, and then the knees, uh, a lot of people who have uh, arthritis in the knees will uh, will complain of pain more kind of in the back of the knee or, or off to the sides. Um, and, um, you know, the tendonitis uh, around the knee tends – or bursitis tends to be more kind of in the front of the knee, um, you know, directly, you know, over your lower part – the upper part of your shin bone. Location, location, specific. location. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all about where the trouble is. Yep. So – when you have arthritis, one of the misnomers is that you can't exercise. So my knees hurt, and if I keep walking, it'll make my knees worse. But is that part of the therapy to strengthen the muscles? Yeah, so actually it, it, it is a common um, problem. You know, people are in this predicament. Their joints hurt. They don't want to move around too much on them. They don't want to... They don't want to do any sort of uh, weight-bearing exercises. And, um, you know, generally what we recommend is, is more of a low-impact type of exercises, things where you're, where you're not, um, you know, running or jumping or doing real deep squats, kind of doing things that, that, that get the joints moving without beating on them. And um, it can be challenging, but, you know, I, I usually recommend things like um, gentle yoga or, you know, Pilates, those types of things. Um, or just kind of your own body's natural weight uh, for exercising. I generally recommend you know not using heavy weights when you're when you're trying to um, you know build up muscle or even uh, things like isometric exercises where you're not maybe moving the joint as much, but you're you're um, focusing on building up some strength without the movement. Uh, but the movement is key. It, it it really does help to keep the joints moving. Um, there does come a point, though, where, you know, the, the arthritis is so severe that really any type of, of movement is going to cause you problems. And that's where people tend to see me. Yeah, the surgeon. So if somebody were to have mild arthritis, let's say, mm-hmm. and they want to work and do some activities, if they were to go to the gym, should they consider things like recumbent bikes or exercise bikes. I kind of think if you have weight-bearing joint issues, then it might be good for you not to do a really a lot of fast pedaling on an exercise bike, for example. But if you're sitting and so your weight's supported by, you know, your butt or your ocole, mm-hmm. then you're not putting all that weight on your hips and your knees. So maybe potentially you could ratchet up the tension, really work on the muscle element of those areas of your body, kind of take away from the constant repetitive strain. Yeah, is correct. that something people could do to try and help themselves? Yeah, any, anything that's not putting very, very high high pressure through the joint. Yeah. So oftentimes a lot of people, uh, a lot of patients will say that they, you know, they will enjoy exercising in a pool, for instance, you know, swimming, things where you're moving the joint, but you're not really repetitively pounding on the joint. I think swimming is one of the best exercises in general. And we are on an island, so we have a lot of opportunity. (laughs) Although it's been a little cold recently, so I understand that. But there are heated pools, too. A lot of communities have access to that. So another option is the swimming, the the exercise in water. So, you know, you're floating. And that's great because then you can really get that stretch without necessarily having that, that impact to the joint itself. Exactly. Now, you've alluded to the fact that you know, if it gets severe enough, then they need to see a surgeon. What are some things people should do? You know, if we were to think about joint surgery as the end 
result of dealing with arthritis of your joints, what are some of the things people can do early on? So we talked about some exercise. Are there roles for over-the-counter medicine? And at what point do people intensify that to go on prescription medicine? Yeah. So, you know, the common over-the-counter medicines, things like Tylenol and your, you know, anti-inflammatory medicines like ibuprofen, Aleve, um, you know, those are those are helpful. You know, there's always downsides to, to large doses of those medications. So, you know, within reason, um, th- those can be very helpful as a first-line uh, treatment. Um, physical therapy tends to be helpful for early on in the disease. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, again, the idea of getting those the joint mobilized. A lot of people will have um, contractures around the around in and around the joint. Part of the the infl- inflammatory process is is causing uh, inflammation on the inside of the lining of the joint, and that can can lead to some irritation and, and difficulty with moving. So, getting that that joint mobilized through that can be helpful. Um, can decrease the symptoms as well. Um, and then you start getting into as the as the de- disease progresses and and the symptoms are worse, um, we start looking again for more kind of uh, immediate symptomatic relief like injections um, can be helpful, but they're usually short term and they they're they're not going to stop the disease progression at that point. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Joe Vercatapine. He is a orthopedic surgeon and joint expert at Straub and Polymomy Medical Centers. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about what do we inject in the knees and how that might be a temporizing measure so that maybe you can do something else to strengthen your body or work on your weight or something that might help you. We want everybody to be able to move well. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my orthopedic surgeon and joint specialist buddy, Dr. Joe Varkatapine. He works at Straub and Polymomy Medical Centers, and he is an expert in joint replacement, particularly of the knees and the hips. Now, we were right before the break, we were talking a little bit about the different types of arthritis and what sort of treatment options are available out there, including some over-the-counter medicines and some physical therapy, which I'll be honest, I've never had a patient come back to me and say physical therapy didn't help them even a little bit. It's one of those areas where I really do see if people do the exercises on their own and participate fully with the therapy, they do show improvement. And that's, that's ideal. Yeah, absolutely. I, early on in the disease, the disease process, it's definitely helpful if there's still some cartilage left in the joint and um, and they're physically up to it. Absolutely, it does help. Um, there does come a point though where it, it, it when it's really bone on bone and you can't and do that anymore. Severe, it's PT is of limited value at that point. But definitely, the first line is um, to get the joints mobilized and and participate in some PT. Now, you mentioned injections. What sort of things are we injecting? Well, right now, the, the probably the two most common things for arthritis are corticosteroids or steroid injections, um, and then visco supplementation, which is uh, we call them lubrication shots, uh, you know, in the layman's terms. But those are probably the two most common things. There are there are some kind of more experimental things going on, like stem cell and um, uh, prolotherapy, those types of things. But 
Um, the mainstays right now for injectables are, are steroids and, um, and visco supplementation. So what would make somebody choose one over the other? I mean, as an orthopedic specialist, if you see somebody coming into your office, is one of those stronger, better, longer lasting? Or is it one of those things where it's like personal experience? Well, uh, unfortunately, n- neither one of them will, will really um, give, you know, uh, a curative uh, type of response, but um, it, it it comes down to usually the how severe the the disease process is. People who are more um, kind of further along in the disease process, uh, or it's uh, they have an acute uh, episode of pain uh, relating to that, tend to be a little more responsive to steroids. Um, those um, those though are they're not always effective. Once the once you get to the point where um, it's just it's you know, bone on bone, bone on bone. Too not ex- much you can do. There, there really isn't, and you know they they will be limited in effectiveness. Um, the visco supplementation is somewhat controversial now. Um, there have been some studies and uh, that kind of go both ways on it. Um, I find it it's still useful and early on in the disease process, and and some patients will will benefit from it, but um, it's not a one size fits all by by any means. So it really depends on where the patient is in the progression of their arthritis and what are their symptoms and what is their level of functioning. So it sounds like it's kind of a combination personalized approach to figuring out could these shots help them temporarily. You know, and I guess at a certain point, all roads of bad arthritis lead to looking at surgical options. So when we think about surgery for joints, let's talk about knee first and then we'll talk about hip. The actual idea of replacing the knee joint is that you're going to add some mechanical element to allow somebody to walk without the pain. Without getting too descriptive, what is the process of surgery? What is the idea and how is that something that's going to help somebody to mobilize and and walk better? Right. So, so the main problem is that the cartilage is worn down. And the cartilage, you can think of it as kind of a buffer. It's protecting the nerves that are in the bone. And, and then as the disease is, is very far along, a lot of times the bone is actually being affected. It's eroding or it's become um, uh, the, the, the architecture of the bone is changed. So the idea of, a say, a knee replacement um, is, is – Essentially, to, it's, it's kind of a misnomer. It's more of a it's more of a resurfacing or like a cap on a tooth. Essentially, you're removing that uh, thin layer of the bone at the end of ends of the bones with that damaged cartilage, and then putting a cap on it. In this, in the case of a knee, it's usually a metal um, over the, over both ends, and then a piece of plastic between them. And the idea is that that's um, I'm going to also restore some of the the defects and the, um, the the misalignment that comes in a in a knee as a result of of the arthritis. So ultimately, that by doing that, you'll um, take away the pain that from those stimulated nerves in the bone. So then, somebody would be able to hopefully do more of their walking or whatever their activity is that they enjoy could help them with mobility and help them feel better and decrease some of the pain. Now, it's not an easy procedure. I mean, these days, it used to be that you'd be in the hospital for days. Now you can actually do it as an outpatient. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've come a long way in terms of um, the way the procedure is done. We're, we're using less invasive techniques. I don't, I don't like to throw the word minimally invasive around with a knee replacement or a hip because it, it really it, it does involve um, – uh, a significant amount of surgery, but the 
the process has has evolved to the point where we are using these less invasive techniques. Um, we're using new types of um, of of blocks for uh, nerve blocks for the pain, um, and then we're um, we have a very uh, um, kind of evolved uh, physical therapy process now where we're we have patients up and walking right away after their surgery, and um, it's a it it's gotten to the point where yeah patients um, they can go home the day of surgery if they meet certain criteria. And they actually do very, very well. And then, uh, like I always joke with a lot of my patients, is nothing like sleeping in your own bed. <laughs> very true. And in fact, I often tell folks, you know, you think you want to stay in the hospital, but where do all the bad germs go? Yes, uh, exactly. The hospital. So go to your own germs in your own house. It might actually keep you a little bit that, safer that, in the long run. That is very true. And, and you know, we have, we have very strict criteria for that. I mean, we certainly um, keep people in the hospital who need to be. And... Um, but it has a it's a it's a uh, a very um, streamlined process these days, so it works quite well. Now, what kind of metal are we using? Is there something special about different types of metal, and how long does a traditional knee replacement last? Right. So yeah, the the metals have evolved as well. Um, typically these days, uh, the main metal that we're using in, in knees and hips is a titanium. Um, there's still some cobalt chrome in some of the knee replacement parts, and there's actually uh, some companies that you're using certain types of uh, ceramic alloys in their, in, their, um, in their knee and hip replacement components. Um, and then there's a special kind of plastic that's generally incorporated in, into it as the actual bearing surface itself. Um, the parts, you know, it's They've evolved a lot over the last uh, 15, 20 years and, and longer. Um, the data that we uh, typically rely upon to talk about survivorship is, you know, 15, 20, 25 years old. So when we start talking survivorship or how long they last, we're relying on data that's that's um, for parts that were made 20, 30 years ago. So they, things have moved, um, come a long way. Um, you know, on average, we... we Hips tend to last a little bit longer than knees, um, but there's so many factors that go into how long they'll last. It's hard to just make blanket statements about, you know, this, it should last this long or that long. But generally, we, we tell patients, you know, if you get 10 or so years out of a knee, 15 or so out of a hip, that's pretty good result. Um, but they certainly last longer in, in, in a number of patients, and um, hopefully the, the future as these um, – they evolve even more, we'll, we'll get longer-lasting joints. So is that why if you're in your 40s, you might not necessarily rush to doing a joint replacement because the anticipation is you might need to do another one and potentially even another one? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a real dilemma because we're seeing as we – as the practices have evolved and, and we've um, started putting joints in, into younger patients, we've seen the, the positive results, but you're always up against that dilemma. Um, you know that there's a finite uh, amount of time they're going to get out of the use of that joint before it becomes problematic. But, you know, you have to look at the overall picture and the person's quality of life. You know, if you have somebody sitting in front of you who's 40 years old and they, you know, can't work their job anymore, their their knees or their hips are barely moving, they're practically wheelchair bound well 
you kind of you know, have to you, do something. You kind of yeah. have to do something. Is quality of life, uh, you know, what's what's worse, you know, subjecting them to that now versus having to do another surgery, you know, later down the road. And and daytime TV, which if that's all they're watching, that's that's not <laughs> exactly. good either. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Joe Vercatapine. He is an orthopedic surgeon and joint specialist at Straub and Polymomy Medical Center. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about hip replacements. When would those be needed? And what are some of the things that they will help people to be able to do, kind of restoring their function if they do get diagnosed with arthritis that becomes disabling to the point where they can't do their usual activities? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio with Dr. Joe Vercatapine. He is an orthopedic surgeon specializing in hips and knee replacements, and he works at Straub and Polymomy Medical Center. And we're talking today about arthritis, what to do about it, and when it does get bad enough that you need to consider a joint replacement, what are some of the factors that you need to consider overall? And will this joint last for the rest of your life or maybe not? Now, right before the break, we talked a little bit about knee replacement. And you can do it when you're younger if otherwise you're subjected to just, you know, sitting around at home and not able to get around. When you do revisions or replacements of a replacement, how much more difficult of a surgery is that? Uh, they can be very challenging. You know, sometimes you get lucky and they're they're not so bad. But um, there definitely is uh, quite a bit more planning involved and more more time usually because you have to remove the old components and you have to do it in a in a very safe manner. Um, and some, sometimes they're kind of stuck to the bone in certain ways, and you have to remove them uh, very, very carefully. And um, you know, but for the most part, uh, you know, that's why you, you train in this type of uh, subspecialty. You, you know, you learn all the little the little tricks of the trade, and and eventually uh, um, they they become a, a little more straightforward. But um, it's it's definitely not like doing a, a primary or first time uh, joint replacement. There's there's always um, there's always little aspects of it that that can make them challenging. So so it sounds like it's a lot more difficult to do a revision than it is to do the initial surgery. Absolutely, and it's it's tougher for the patients to go through. Um, you know, there's certainly higher um, rates of problems, but. Um, you know, if that's your only option, that's your only option. That's what you got to do. You got to do it. Now, if you, if for whatever reason your joint got infected, mm -hmm. that would be another reason that, regardless of how old it is, you might have to have that out. Yeah, with for the most part, that's an absolute indication to to have it um, revised or, or or operated on to try to get rid of the infection. There are cases though where you know sometimes you you just can't get rid of an infection, but um, or you can't operate on it for certain patient factors, but. Yeah, yeah, infections a a big reason we do revisions. Um luckily, um most joint replacements, you know, roughly 99% of them are done without, you know, having infections, so um it's not a thing we have to do all the time. Now, once you've had a joint replacement, mm -hmm. should you be careful when you, you know, there are certain people who need to take antibiotics before they go to the dentist and things. Is that a standard in the orthopedic community that if you have a metal joint 
if you go to have a tooth cleaning or something like that, you should take some antibiotics in preparation, or is that just kind of extra precautions? Well, yeah, this is a kind of one of those controversial areas. Um, you know, the current recommendations um, by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and I think the American Dental Association is that, you know, technically you don't for a routine cleaning. Um, you know, historically, most orthopedic surgeons have, have put their patients on a pre-cleaning dose of antibiotics just to be on the safe side. You know, there's data that supports that, but also that um, refutes that uh, necessity. You know, generally, I, I try to look at the overall picture again. You know, if somebody's getting major dental work or they're getting some, you know, invasive procedure that where there's potential contamination um, into That's the blood. That's a little blood. different, sure. Yeah, yeah. You, have to, you have to weigh that um, against a one-time dose of antibiotics. Yeah. Now, hip replacements. That's a different joint, but it's a very similar process to what you would do with the knee. Mm -hmm. It's a slightly different. It's like a ball and socket joint. It's a different exactly. mechanical type of type of uh, joint itself. How is that different when we think about hip replacement versus knee replacement? Well, yeah. Um, the I would say the biggest difference is probably the uh, – kind of the functionality of it and the overall kind of functional outcome, I would expect. I think, you know, hips done correctly, um, you know, certainly patients can, they can withstand a bit more activity and they can do a little more with them. A knee, you're a little more cautious with that just because of the, the mechanics of how a knee replacement works. Um, but uh, yeah, the so I would say that would probably be the biggest difference. And and then certainly the way they're done is entirely different in, in the actual surgery itself. But um, Which do you think is harder for the surgeon? Uh, for the surgeon? Hmm. I don't know. That's a <laughs> – they, have, they both have their, their own unique uh, qualities. I, I'd say, um, you know, personally, I, I think knees are probably a little more fun. Uh, if that's a right way to put it. Well, uh, as uh, a surgeon, we want to know you're having fun. Yes, exactly. So, okay. But but I think, uh, you know, the hips are a little more um, reliable, I think, in terms of, like, what you expect with the outcome. You know, knees can be a little a little tricky. You know, there's more, I think, some nuance to them that, um, that you know, makes it a little more challenging for patients. Now, you mentioned that hips might last a little longer. So, you know, if knee joints maybe relast 10, if you're lucky, 15, maybe even more, then hips might last a little longer. Why do you think that is? I think it comes down again to the the, the way that we put them in and the um, and the and just the mechanics of the joint, like you said, the ball and socket. A knee joint um, is, a you know, essentially a hinge, but that hinge is mobile and that, that femur or thigh bone is kind of sliding across the surface of that of the shin bone or the tibia at the top of it, and that puts a lot of stress on the implants that are are, are there in a certain way where it can loosen them up easier. The ball in the socket um, uh, way that a hip joint is is it it's without getting into too much detail. It's just uh, it, the compressive forces there allow the um, the joint not to have all that shear force, and I don't want to belabor the well, physics was the not physics my strong point so that's but, good but okay. yeah it's just it, it it the the parts don't loosen up as easy as i'd say a um a, a knee replacement if that's a way to put it <laughs> well and the other reason um, somebody might have a hip replacement might be a bad hip fracture if it yep. can't be pinned maybe they need to have a replacement yeah so so there's a, the blood supply in the hip is is such that when the hip is becomes broken in a certain way 
it can damage that blood supply and then you worry about it healing properly if you were to just try to fix it with with uh, hardware pins screws whatever you were doing so yeah there there has been a trend um, towards more um, you know hip replacement total hip replacements even uh, especially in the you know semi younger um, more active population when those fractures occur and they're very shifted or displaced now those folks might get still the same duration of longevity with the hip replacement, maybe even more, just depends on their personal situation, I would imagine. Yeah, they, we expect it to be, um, you know, to get a similar longevity. The The problem, though, that you see with a fracture is that, though, is that the person, you know, presumably had a normal hip right before they broke it. So the expectation and kind of the outcome um, is, you know, maybe not as satisfying as the person who's been walking around with bad arthritis for five or 10 years. You know, they, those people are very happy with their hip right away, whereas the hip fracture patient is typically, it's a little slower and they're not, you know, they had a perfect hip and now they've got a hip replacement and they might be able to feel that difference a little more. Well, we're just lucky that there's folks like you who have fun, enjoy it, and do a great job doing those types of surgeries. I want to thank you for being on The Body Show with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Dr. Joe Vercatapine is an orthopedic specialist at Straub and Polymomy Medical Centers. And if you have problems with arthritis and you need a joint surgery, that's the place to go. These are the folks who know exactly what they're doing and can help you the most. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can go to our podcast. Thanks to David Chong, our engineer. We'll see you next week.